Lord, just help that to, to be to one side, Lord, and that today we might hear from the Father through her. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to start by saying, I will never be alone, because Father God, you're there beside me. <laughs> but I also went, yeah, I will never be alone, because Father God, you're there beside me. Actually, it feels this morning a bit like when I listen to our prayers and things, that I kind of want to go, oh, we're sorted, and, uh, and we can all go home. But probably not. We're going to start, actually, by watching the brand new Waitrose advert, if that's okay with everybody, um, and uh, think a little bit more about that. So, uh, Paul, press play. When you're part of it, you put your heart in it. The idea being that you go to a school play and stuff and it's naff and awful. And when you really go for it, that's what you get. So well, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But before Betty comes and uh, gives us our reading, I wanted to give you a bit of background to the book of James because that's where Betty's going to be reading from. And most people who have spent time thinking about the book of James believe that James is written by the brother of Jesus. James. 
So imagine that Jesus has died, he's come back to life, and there are Jews who have become Christians, okay? It's, and it's kind of one of those things that you say in a sentence, but actually, if you don't get hold of it, so Jews who have become Christians, that's not an easy place to be. Those who have converted to Christianity are under persecution and certainly in a minority. And some of those Jewish Christians have moved away from Israel to live in other places. James is a respected leader and people listen to him. So he wrote to those Christians who have moved away, but, we're, but are trying to work out what it looks like, what it means to be a Christian in that time. It's quite, you have to kind of imagine that for a bit when you're thinking about what James is writing. So these Christians no longer had their day-to-day -day contact with their leaders. Imagine somebody who's become a Christian in Saltash Baptist, they're little baby Christians, but they've moved away from here. So Tim decides that he's going to write emails and Facebook them and encourage them. James writes to help them. He writes to encourage them to live as a Christian should in the places where they now live. He said what, would, what a Christian looks like and what a Christian believes must affect what they do. And that the ma and actually main subject of James's, uh, James' book is exactly that. He shows how you should apply their trust in God to the problems that they're having right now. Real faith must be active. That's the key to what he wrote. Faith that does nothing is not a faith. So he says, and everyone kind of knows this, that James says, faith without works is dead. So with all that in mind, Betty's going to run up the front now and, uh, and bring us our reading. Betty. Starting at uh, chapter 4, verse, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us tends towards envy, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him <coughs> speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. 
Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is, this, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Oh, that sounded loud. Scared me. <laughs> Quite often, you get the idea of what's about to come by what's at the start of a sentence, don't you? So uh, if I was about to say, once upon a time, you'd get the idea that you're about to hear a story. Or uh, today's headlines are going to make you think that you're about to hear the news. Or Donald Trump today. I'll leave you to finish it. So today's reading starts with, you adulterous people. Now, I wasn't sure quite how Betty would uh, be able to come up and put that across with an emphasis, but you did, Betty, well done. You adulterous people. Imagine hearing that. Imagine, and I was thinking about this, if I heard that word, that I was an adulterer, James has decided, you know, Michelle, listen up, you're an adulteress. And if I thought it was being aimed at me, I'm going to be pretty upset. But when actually you simply think about that word, it makes you think of someone who's chosen someone else or something else instead of the person or the thing that they've committed to. So simple, really, isn't it? James is saying to the believers that they've put others or something first over their commitment to God. The things of the world have become more important. The word that James uses is actually friendship with the world. I wonder what friendship with the world looks like for those believers at James's time. This is a group of people, people who've obviously lost their way. They're being called adulterers. Friendship with the world is a way of saying that they no longer live with God and their relationship with God is no longer their first priority. I wonder what it is that's tempted them. Maybe in their new cities they've moved to, there's temptations that they want to follow. And we all know that there's temptations today that we also follow. There's numerous examples in the Bible. The temptation to cheat on the person that you've committed to. I think there's a reason that James actually uses the word adulterer. The Bible has examples where adultery happens. You just have to look at David sleeping with Bathsheba. Here is a community of people who've moved somewhere else and just maybe lust has taken over. This community of people probably aren't rich. The want for more money is a serious temptation. The worry of where your next lot of food's going to come from. Perhaps the temptation to make money in a way that they shouldn't be. The love of money, or even the worry of not having enough, coming before what God has for them, must have been a temptation at the time. I wonder if the hearers are tempted by power. They've moved to another culture, and they must have seen people around them 
that had bigger and better things than them. There's obviously the temptation to compare their lives with others. You saw in verses 11 and 12 there, there's an instruction to not talk about each other behind people's backs. It was obviously going on. That's why James told them to stop doing it. I wonder if they sink into doubts. Was this all really worth it? They must have thought that their life was pretty tough. Whoever said following Jesus was going to be an easy ride? So James has got to a point where he feels he needs to write to them and he needs to call them adulterers. But what does James need say to them that they need to do about it? Well, in verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Come near to God and he will come near to you. He tells them to wash their hands and to purify their hearts. Now, I have a knack. Somebody asked me if I script my sermons, and, and I said, if I, did, if I didn't script them, it would take me about two minutes to say what I thought God was saying, and <laughs> that would be it. Because very simply put this morning, James has given the believers a bit of a kick up the backside and a bit of a pep talk. Let me take you back to the advert. Now, obviously, I really, really don't care where you do your shopping or you buy your food. But the tagline for their adverts somehow just, it got me. When you're part of it, I think we've got it on screen, haven't we? When you're part of it, so you can hardly see it. It's quite funny, actually, as an advert, isn't it? Because that's the tagline and you don't get it up there for long. When you're part of it, you put your heart into it. Waitrose obviously go the extra mile for everybody, everybody. When you're part of it, you put your heart into it. James wanted his hearers to know that they couldn't have all those temptations and give in to them and love God. It's one or it's the other. I wonder if you find yourself worrying about money. I wonder, probably more important, I wonder if you find yourself thinking about cheating on your other half. I wonder if you look at what others have around you and you want it. I wonder if you find yourselves worrying all the time. So let me tell you now, the difficulty with preaching is that it feels like I'm saying that I've got it all sorted. <laughs> I'm perfect. Let me confess to you now. I'm the first one to watch people going on lovely holidays and to covet it. <laughs> I'm the first one to worry about what we're going to do about a house when we retire. But what James is telling us today and what God wants from us is for everything to be in its proper place. I suppose really the question is, if you were to lose everything tomorrow, would you still love God? Is there anything in your life that's more important than your relationship with God? When I look at what others have, or the worries and concerns that I've got about the future, I have to remember who God is and all the promises that he's made to me. Or those, those worries, those concerns take over. But I know that God is faithful. Tim and I have to be sensible about it. Don't get me wrong, I don't think for one moment that when we retire, all of a sudden a house is just going to fall out of the sky and it's just going to be there. We've got to be sensible that God is going to provide. 
And if Waitrose think that when you're part of it, you put your heart into it, how much more then does that mean for you and for me as believers? God knows when our hearts are not in it. So what do we do when we know that actually things aren't in their right place? James makes it clear. He says you confess it and you get it sorted. There's two things here that, I've just, I, that came to me this morning as we were singing. If you're not a Christian this morning, this all seems quite <laughs> And it's all a bit tough. But actually, the joy of God is that, yes, you give it all to God, but the joy is he gives it back to you. And there's freedom in that. So if you're not a Christian this morning, and actually this all feels really tough, then let me tell you, the freedom of knowing that everything is God's and he's given it all back to me is amazing. And I want you just to know that. If you're not a Christian, please know that. But secondly, grace. Hurrah for grace. Because <laughs> if we didn't have it, we'd all be sat here right now going, oh no, I'm in a really bad place. But God is grace. And if we sit here and we know that there is something in the wrong place today, then this is your opportunity. You can't leave this morning knowing that something is in the wrong place. You can, but you know you're sinning if you do it. Ugh. So, I was kind of going, oh, this is a bit tough. I always get the tough ones, it feels. But this morning, the joy of it all is that we can leave this place knowing that God is in the right place in our hearts. I'll say it again. Waitrose got it right. When you're part of it, then you put your heart into it. God wants your heart. He doesn't want 90%. He doesn't want 99%. He wants it all. Our theme is giving. And God says, give your life. It's 100%. So um, I'm going to ask Tim to, where's he gone? Tim to come up and play. And uh, Tim's going to play uh, I Surrender All. Um, all for Jesus, I Surrender. And, uh, and we're not going to have anything else happening because actually this is between you and God. I could go around each one and go, right, get your money sorted out, get your life sorted get this sorted out, get that sorted out. You sit in front of God, you know what it is that God asks you to give him this morning. What it is that's the 1% that you've decided. By the way, I also forgot to say, for those of us who are parents, it includes children. Well, that was hard to say. Obviously, you need to sort that out. Um, yeah. So, Tim's going to play. Uh, let me pray. We're going to have just time of you and God giving to God whatever it is that you need to confess and you need to give to him and get it sorted. And then I will come and pray to finish that up. All to Jesus, I surrender. Father, I want this place to be full of people who know what it is to have the freedom to give you everything. Because then we don't have to try. So, Lord, I pray in these moments where we just have between us and you, no one else. Father, I pray that you would show us the things that you know we haven't given you or the things that we've taken back or the things that we've put in front of knowing you completely.